Welcome to the Workshop Therapy Podcast. I'm your host Andrew, and joining me today for the second time. You're only the you're the you're the first guest to repeat, aside from my wife. But I I, I don't count her as my guest, I guess. But anyway, this man is well known for his opinions about how digital creators have no skills. And uh, Mr. Keith oh, Drennan, how are you? I did not say digital creators. <laughs> I'm just just broadening the horizon, right? Oh, light the world on fire, right? Exactly. Yeah, besides, uh, nobody listens to this anyway, so. Oh, uh, they do. They do. But yeah, no. Yeah, skills. Here yep. we go. Since we were just talking about 3D printers and how useful they are, right, in the pre-show. Yeah. You, you'll <laughs> end up buying one before too long. You, you'll, you'll have that uh, that FOMO going on, right? The fear of missing out. Oh, everybody else will have a 3D printer except for you. and. Yeah, but if everyone has one, I could just ask them to make me something. That's true. Then you don't need any skill for it. You don't need skill, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah anyway so so how are things how are things going for you they're going fine aside, aside from having some heart trouble there from your laughing yeah yeah otherwise good good no complaints so Nobody i've been admiring your uh your toolboxes there you're making yeah they're looking pretty good have you yeah. had you had much interest with it i heard on lots your of, podcast lots of interest no one's buying so yeah uh, so you're yes. making one for uh, Austin? Yeah. Is that what I heard on the podcast, your podcast there this morning? Yeah. Yep. You're doing some sort of trade for that? Is he? Yeah. He has that's something kind of what I it want. sounded like. He has something I want, so I'm going to make one and hopefully um, trade it for it. Uh, d- does he know that this is the case, or are you just like... <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all, actually. We've never uh, uh, expressed this uh, trade out loud, this barter, yet to each other. But I think he knows it's happening. So fair enough. He has a tool stored away somewhere in his shop that I want. So and he knows you want it. Oh yeah, yeah. I've tried to buy it from him a number of times, um, and that that that's gonna happen. Like he's already said, yeah, I'll buy it, you, or you can buy it. But I'm hoping I can buy it with one of these toolboxes. So how long does it take you to make one? Um, all told, like if I were to sit down and do it, probably, probably 40 hours, maybe, I don't know, because I, I've i never just gone out into the shop and said, all right, I'm going to start now and then I'm going to finish. It's always like, uh, I start for a few hours and I go back to it a few days later. And then there's other projects that were coming up in between and I have changed the way it's going to be done. So, um, it's going to make it faster to build now. So, I'm, so what did you change about it? Uh, I'm changing all the size of the drawers and the proportions will change slightly just so I can do less cuts per se. Um, I'm changing the drawer slide to a different type of drawer slide. Um, so, so it's not as labor intensive to make, but the overall look will be the, exactly the same. It's going to have just box true. joints on the edges. And the main changes, the ones I've made so far had an integrated drawer face. Yeah. And that's tough, you know, like it has to be perfect or your whole box is off. Um, so I'm doing away with that and doing an, uh, an applied face. Yeah, that's the integrated face. It, when you mess up one piece, then you're screwed for the whole thing versus if you're just doing a, an applied face, if you just mess up one piece, you just run another yeah. board through and cut it up and you're you're good. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to do it this way, which in my mind is like the fancier, proper way for the first two. And now they'll all just be applied faces from here on out. So. Yeah. That's uh, the the thing about, you know, asking you how long it takes to make. That's the funny thing about doing it as a hobbyist versus versus doing it with a production or a business mindset or or if it's your job. Because as a hobbyist, you don't have that. I have eight hours to get this done. And you can I've always found when I'm when I'm doing a production job, 
I get I get four times as much done in the same amount of time because I don't have to remember what I did a week ago. I don't have right. to catch up in my head. I can just move on from the next step to the next step to the next step. But well, it's like anything too. Like if you're going to go into production, you you eliminate pain points. Like for me right now in my shop, when I use the table saw, I have to move the table saw so I can use it. Right. And then I got to move it back to use the next tool, and then move that back. Right. So there's a thought process that's got to go through everything. Right. And I share the open space with a mower and stuff. So it's got to be good weather so I can put that out in the driveway if if I'm doing anything with the bigger tool. Right. So so it's like a thing. If I was actually going to make these like into a business business and not just do this limited edition of 10 of them, I would rearrange everything and I'd have a station and all the pain points would be gone. Right. Just be here's the jig. I can cut a thousand of these parts and then here's the jig. Thousand of the right. Like it's different when you're not. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not running it like a business. Yeah, I'm going to sell them and make money on them, but I'm not running it as if I was running a business. Yeah. Yeah. You're not desperate for the income right at the moment. At the moment. (laughs) At the moment. Speaking of sharing a space with your mower, why don't why don't you pick yourself up one of those uh, like tarp shed type of things and just park it outside in the tarp shed, or do you just not want to be ghetto and have one of those tarp sheds out in your out in your lawn? Yeah, no, that's not me. Yeah, no. And then I'm going to build the shit. Well, I may move, right? So I don't want to spend any money that I don't like, like that's not going to help me. Right. I could put a nice shed out back and, and as I don't want to put a crappy shed out there, I could put a nice shed out there, but a shed's not going to improve any home value. So why spend the money on this one when I could be using it at the next house to build a barn or a big shop or something, you know? So it's kind of a catch 22 I'm in right now. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. How big is your shop? Like what's your square footage? Oh, it's very confusing. Um, I'll, I'll tell you the number, but it's really not th- that much. But uh, floor space, I think, is like 380 square feet. But it's not that big, really, because one wall is a garage door, right? So that's useless. Yeah. Um, then there, I have one wall. Then the other wall in the back, it like whoever built the house or designed it, it's almost like a car and a half garage. But instead, they wanted their kitchen bigger. So they have a bump out halfway, like 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 in the first eight feet, it bumps out for the kitchen. And then they said, oh, well, let's do a laundry room. So then it bumps out again. So, so it's kind of like a weird triangle thing. Oh. Yeah, down one wall. Like it, it goes and then it steps out almost like, I, I don't know how to explain it for a podcast. But, you know, it goes like this along the whole wall. But then there's a door that comes down along that one sidewall. So it's not even like, oh, I gained wall space because it goes like this, but there's a door there and then there's stairs that come down from the door. So it eats up the one whole portion, like where the kitchen is, then it bumps out. And then that next wall, there's a door that goes out into the backyard. So you have to keep that area clean. So really I only have one wall in my shop. Yeah, so that does... 380 square feet, you can't park a car in it. And uh, and I have to share it with a, a lawnmower, a snowblower. Yeah, so you, you have, you're lucky if you actually have 200 square feet of actual working space. The space area I have is probably 11 by 11 of where 90% of my work happens. Yeah. So it's kind of tiny. But in that 11 by 11, I have to keep that three foot area of like a hallway open. So it's really less than that. Yeah. It's tight. Yeah. I'm, I feel your pain. My shop's only 30 by 40. 20, uh, no, yeah. never mind. It's not that big. It's 25 by 40. So yeah. it's hard. I mean, it's a pain, but you you just work around it, you know, like, yeah. like you have to walk all over the place. I, I just have to reach, you know, I hardly it's have to a, 
Yeah, that, that is actually one of the things that I find myself doing all the time is I'll be at one end of the shop. And I, I mean, it's not a huge shop. It's a big, it's a thousand, I, have, I have a thousand square feet, so it's, it's a decent sized shop, but it's not huge. But still, when you're at one end of the shop and you have to walk over to the other end of the shop to grab something, right? It, it's, it's, it's annoying. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't envy you. No, no, but, you uh, shouldn't. But there is a, that's where you get that efficiency of space, you know, that's why, that's why I think I collect extra tools is because then I can put a, a set of screwdrivers at each thing or, you know, I have, I need a screwdriver and an Allen key for adjusting my bandsaw. And so I just have them stuck on magnets on my bandsaw and then I have extra ones somewhere else. So I don't have to, those ones just live there now. Yeah. But, yeah, I would love to be able to do that. I mean, I have a, a ton of tools. I could do that. But uh, the layout of my shop changes. Like for these boxes, I have it set up the way I need to set it up to do the boxes. And even with that, I have to move tools to be able to do it. But if I was going to do something else, like build a, a dresser or a bookcase or something, which is the next thing on the list, then everything's going to get moved around because I'm going to need different tools accessible. So it's kind of a pain. Yeah. But if you plan yeah. ahead, it, it I mean, it works, you know? Yeah, my my previous shop before this one, I guess my previous shop before this one was my garage on the house. But prior to moving back to Alberta, my shop was a forty by forty two story barn. And that was that was lovely. How do you work in such small places, Andrew? Well, that one had a major downside though. Uh, it didn't have insulation in the walls, and I heated it with a wood stove. And so, in the middle of the winter, when it was minus you know twenty or minus thirty, I'd have to go out and I would burn. A ton of wood just to get my my shop up to a decent temperature for working in yeah and i didn't realize this but uh saw stops they won't work below a certain temperature yeah and so i didn't realize this when i bought the thing but uh yeah so i one day i start using it and it's cold so i start using my table saw right and i'm pushing pushing some wood through it and it just dies and no um you, you don't have a saw stop do you no Okay, so yeah. so they have a, the the control box on it. It's got two lights, and it'll blink on different patterns depending on what it's doing. Yeah, I've used them before. Yeah. Oh, okay. So so yeah. So if it if it triggers or does something weird, it'll have this little blinky pattern of lights, and uh, it wasn't showing any codes. It wasn't doing anything. It's just like just no power whatsoever. It would it would just die and couldn't figure out what was going on. And so I started doing some internet looking, and I discovered that yeah, they won't work below a certain temperature. And so since there's all that cast iron in there. When it's cold, yeah, it takes for freaking ever for it to heat up enough to get that sensor to work. So a forty by forty shop was nice, but in the winter it was really frustrating. I ended up doing more stuff with the bandsaw or with a with a circular saw, and my three thousand dollar table saw sat there and made a nice That's work rough. service. That is rough. But yeah, or used the I, I used the radial arm saw quite a bit during the winter. Do you still have a radial arm saw? No, I got rid of it when I moved. I would I, love to have a shop big enough to use one of those. It was great for for dados. I like being yeah. able to put my material down and and see where I'm cutting. That was really nice. Uh, I did. That's basically all I ever cuts. used it for. Yeah, that's basically all I ever used it for was just the just that. I don't like when they turn it. You know. Oh, that's terrifying. Trying to rips. Yeah, that. That's where you get into the danger zone of radio arm saws. Otherwise, they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah, the, the, and that's the thing. Even if you're even if you're an idiot and you you let it run away with you, as long as your hand's not in the way, you're fine because it runs into the end of the stop and that's it. Right. Yeah. The moment you start doing, like, I don't know, do you follow what's his name? Dusty Lumberco. Yeah, Dusty Mitchell. No, not anymore. I used to, but I don't follow him anymore. But yeah, so he, lives he makes some just cool down, stuff. 
he lives just down the road from me actually oh really yeah i, I actually i knew him i i knew him when i was going to university in lethbridge we we knew each other but anyway he makes long story stuff. short his yeah using the radio alarm saw and stuff like that i was just not my not my thing but anyway so one of the things that i was going to ask you about is uh is you what what's your opinion on on people who are pursuing that that perfection in stuff like do you think do you think perfectionism can become toxic to to your creative abilities 100% what is yeah. the one saying don't let perfection be the en- the enemy of complete yeah. or finished what is it yeah. saying yeah don't, don't don't let perfect be the enemy of done or finished yeah yeah, yeah there's... i mean everyone wants to be perfect right but nobody's perfect um are you talking like in general or or more on the maker side we're kind of in general in in general probably but it applies in everything like i find myself for me the reason i'm curious about it is I, ha- I find myself having a hard time starting something because of i'm i'm worried about not being able to do it correctly right or mm-hmm. you get to a certain point where where it's like, should I complete this thing or should I just throw it in the garbage and move on? I think there's a benefit to both of those. Uh, when I was younger, I didn't care that I didn't strive for perfection per se. I said, all right, let's just try it and do it. And then there was a period of my life from about 21 to, I don't know, 38, where I worried everything's got to be perfect, right? I can't make any mistakes, right? Let's just do it perfect and be perfect all the time. And don't start it if you can't do it perfect. And now I'm like, screw that. Like, it's a waste. If you wait to start anything, you're never going to get perfect at it. So just embrace the negativity now and roll with it. You know, what is it? Wabi Sabi is to find the beauty in the imperfections. Yeah, yeah. I I look forward to it. Like, I would make a table and say, I can't wait until this thing's beat up, right? Because I love the look of an old, like, kitchen table or something that's all beat to hell and it's been used and abused over its life it's got character it's got flaws but if i was the one making it before that i would say oh it's got to be perfect i I can't have a bad glue joint i can't have some bad joinery in the light like i just wouldn't start because i'm like what if i can't like what if i screw it up i don't have the money to buy all new wood for new legs but i'm hoping to build a table that lasts better than a veneered table so it can get beat up scarred live a hundred years and look like one of these old tables everyone wants to buy right yeah so why care now right well because if it isn't good enough it's not going to get to that point right but i guess good enough is not the same as perfect correct if it's serviceable let it ride yeah see one of the reasons i've been thinking about it recently is because i have this chair um in my shop that that i designed this is this is this is me right like i hate i hate working off of plans like there's there's nothing wrong with it but there's to me there seems like there's two different types of woodworkers right there's there's the one that wants to go out and they have a plan they're going to follow the plan and they're going to do the plan and then there's the other side of the the spectrum people like me that i have an idea and i want to create the idea and and it's not to say that I don't have a plan. I have a 3D model. I use the CNC to cut the parts. So I, I, I do have a plan, but it's my plan, right? Right. And I've got I've got to the point now where I have the two sides of the chair glued up. And so it's it's kind of like a it'll be like a lounger, kind of a mid-century modern lounge chair kind of idea, right? Right. And I've got the two sides and I know exactly how to finish it, but now that I have the two sides in physical space. I don't think I like the look of it. 
And so I, I struggle with That's taking the a- time of... Uh, it, it's I, I literally have like three hours maybe to get it to a I can sit in this point but then I'm like I, I know I won't like it and I will want to change it so what's the point of finishing it at this point right well there's two schools of thought on that so I thought we were talking about perfection versus mistakes or whatever right if but you don't like the mistake. aesthetic and design of it right then it may not be a perfect design for you but if everything's done properly it could still be a perfect chair Right. So just because you don't like the aesthetics, like some people don't like to look a, a Ford. Some people don't like to look a Chevy. Right. That's an aesthetic thing. They're both adequate vehicles that are going to get you from point A to point B. But is there is there a perfectionism going on in the back of my head that I don't like it? Therefore, it's not perfect. So why should I bother? Or should a guy complete something like that? There's a lid for every pot. Somebody's going to want that chair. So if you're only yeah, three hours from that. finishing it. What? Well, it's not three it's hours from finishing it. It's three hours from being able to sit in it. Like I, I have, so, so I have, yeah, I have to put a, I don't, I don't even know what the parts would be. Like I have to p- join the front. I have three cross pieces basically to put into it. And then right. it'll be kind of like a slingback chair with, I have a big chunk of ugly green leather that I have no other purpose for that I'm going to use as a temporary seat. And that was kind of the inspiration. For the record, green is not ugly. This is an ugly green color. Like it is, it's a legit ugly green color. I like green. But this is like, um, it's like a mottled dark, the best way to describe it would be like a mottled dark snot green color. If Sounds you awesome. kind of picture that. I'll, 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 uh, I'll send yeah, you a send picture a photo of it, later. the lady. Yeah. But uh, see, my thought was, yeah, I'm going to make it out of that. And then if it, if it liked it, I have this bull, bull hide that I tanned from my ranch. It's a, I murdered this bull and we have this hide, blah, blah, blah. And I was going to cut that and turn that into the chair. But now I'm like, I don't know if I like the way it sits and looks. Anyway, so tell me what to do, O'Keefe Guru. If if that were me, uh, uh, you could do what I did and and just take those parts and hang them up in the corner of the shop where no one will see them. And eventually, I'll get back to the chair I started. Eventually, but I had the same thing. I was making a chair. And I'm like, this chair is gonna be trash. I don't I don't want to finish it, so I hung it up. And it's not my style. I don't know what convinced me to try and start this chair so i just hung it up maybe one day i'll get back to it maybe i won't but it's a reminder in the corner of my shop yeah that's exactly where my mine's not hanging it's sitting it's sitting between my rolling tool chest and the wall right now but i mean if you're looking at this part now right can you find what you don't like about it and fix it or remake it Kind of. I think so. But but at the same time, this is where I struggle. It's like, if I finish, if I get it to the point where I can sit in it, then I'll know the proportions, because I think the proportions are wrong. Like, I think once it's actually assembled, it'll be an uncomfortable chair. But I won't know that until it's actually done. Then I think you, I think you get it to the point where you can sit in it. And, and don't consider it a chair, just consider it a prototype. That way, once you're done, then you can be like, all right, I'm going to move this lat between the two sides back three inches i'm gonna move this one up three quarters of an inch i'm gonna give a 19 degree rake here and cut that thing up and just make it serviceable to the chair that does feel comfortable and then start all over again and make the chair there you go use it as a prototyping chair that's good idea provide purpose with the work you've already done the only other purpose for it is to become firewood and it can still become firewood after it gives you purpose in between. That's true. That's uh so did you listen to did you listen to the last episode that I released on Monday? Aggregation so. of aggregation of marginal gains. Yeah, I got very confused to be honest with you. Did you? No. I was listening while I was working, so I probably oh, should have okay. waited till after work. 
Well, it's the same uh, uh, Brian House of Housework. I always forget his name. Brian. I call on, him Brian on House the podcast. too. Uh, the twenty. I think it's the October twenty sixth episode. He was talking uh, where he's talking about the whole Japanese mindset oh, living right, thing. Right, right. Um, what is it like the five things that you should aspire to be or something? Yeah, something like that. But um, the Japanese philosophy is, of kaizen is the same the same thing of this uh, aggregation of marginal gains. Basically, what it means is is rather than looking for the big uh, fixes, you focus on the the one the one percent gains, right? And so if you if you get one percent better every day at something by the end of a year, you'll be thirty seven times better at it, approximately. Yeah. Yeah, if you focus on only one thing. Focusing on only one thing is very difficult to get yeah. 1% better every day. Yeah. But but that but the principle applies to lots of things though, right? Is there there is a you can get 1% better at something. Doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing every day. Right. And and that's where that's where I think from a from a workshop therapy perspective, I guess considering your furniture as as a prototype, just because you made a mistake today and something else doesn't mean that you're screwed. You just made the prototype decision and you can do a better job tomorrow of the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, think about how many times you were making something and you cut a wrong piece. Oh, I never right? do that. You're a measure twice guy. I'm a measure once, cut once, measure once, cut it again. So I, I've actually become more of a not measure at all. Uh, you're a relative guy. It's so yeah. much nicer being relative. Yeah. My, my, my tape measure exists at the beginning of the project and, yeah. and beyond that, it starts to get used less and less, which is a problem with the CNC. That is a problem with the CNC. Yeah. But do you use the CNC often? I do. I've, I've been incorporating it more and more. Actually, right now I'm, I'm learning a new skill on it. I'm, I'm matching some doors for a for a guy he's he's built new cabinets and and he wants to have matching raised panel doors and I decided that I'm going to use my my CNC to do the raised panel door and so I'm right. learning that and then there's there's other they're they're super handy for templates yeah. and then there's like those Christmas lanterns that everybody sells and stuff like that I've been making those in the background and stuff so the machine will just sit there and run while I'm doing something else they're they're super super handy for that, but I haven't turned mine on in over a year. Yeah, but you hate yours, right? Because it doesn't oh, work with a passion. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, it works for like smaller things, but the runtime on it it, it 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 trips itself up almost like with your saw stop. Like if I'm running it for too long, if I'm doing like a 3D carve on it, it just it, it triggers itself to go haywire and just like 3D printers, I I don't want to mess with it. I want a tool that works. I don't want a tool I got to play with. Should make a skill comment there, I guess, right? Why? Well, I was just is it? it no, nah, never mind. I won't go there. Oh, it has nothing I, I, to do not... with the. G, it has nothing to do with the G code. It doesn't have to do with the design. It'll just choose a time whenever it wants and do its own thing. Yeah. And generally, it's to the detriment of whatever you're making. So, so like, I was running one file on there, and I had to make eight of one thing. You put it on. The first one runs, and it has a hiccup, say, an hour in. You change absolutely nothing. You put the second one on, no hiccup. The third one has a hiccup maybe two hours in, the, right? And it's completely different than the hiccup you had on the first one. You put the fourth one on, it has a hiccup at, like, one hour and 18 minutes. So it, it's the same G-code. Nothing has changed. It's just whenever it wants to do its own thing, it just does its own thing. Oh, that's super frustrating. It, and that's like we were talking on the pre-show there with the, with the 3D printer here. It's... It's it's frustrating when you get something that that's just random like that. If yeah. you have if you have a problem that 
like like my 3D printer, it's not printing concentric circles, but it's exactly the same problem every time. You can compensate for that. But if it's just some right. sort of random nonsense, then that's frustrating. Yeah. When you contact the manufacturer, they're like, yeah, we don't know what to do with, with that. There's nothing we can help you with. And it's like, there's nothing? <laughs> nothing at all? It's frustrating. Yeah. That's why you should have bought a Onefinity. Yeah. I should have done a lot of things in my life, Andrew, and I didn't. I thought yep. at the time I was buying the better machine, and yeah. it turns out I wasn't. Yeah, I like mine, actually. It works It works really well. haven't had any issues with it. But, but what I've always noticed, though, is people on, on the YouTubes, they don't push their machines very hard. Like, the, the, like you, you, so, so for my machine, I can... I see guys on on YouTube and they're they're running it at at say like forty inches per minute or whatever. Right. Right. And I I'll push mine. I don't understand why people. Well, I don't want to break a bit. It's like you can buy a bit for for ten bucks. I would much rather push mine at one hundred and twenty inches per minute and break a bit every once in a while than the people who you know I'm going to save my bit and wear my bit out and take ten times as long to do something. Yeah, and I don't know all the science of it, but there is a way where you can run it too slow too, and ruin a bit. Yeah, yeah, you're building up heat, and you you you're uh, yeah, you take you you ruin the temper in your bit, or or it yeah. jams, or whatever. Your chip loads too too high or too low. But anyway, I don't know all of the science. What I do is I just buy a bunch of cheap bits, and then I push the crap out of them until it breaks, and then back off from there. <laughs> I like that strategy. Yeah. I should get a Winfinity, but I don't have a need for it. I think I would buy a laser first. Yeah, I would. If if I didn't have my little diode laser, I think I would have bought a big CO two laser rather yeah. than rather than the one Winfinity. Just because I mean, there's there's things you can't you can't do with a, a laser that you can do with a CNC and vice versa. But I think if you were to drop, if you're going to drop three grand on a tool one way or the other, and you don't already have one of the capabilities, I think a laser is the way to go. Yeah, I I didn't think that until recently after seeing a few lasers run and owning a, like a diode laser now. Uh, they're just so easy. There's no bits to deal with. You clean it every now and then and keep it going. Like, I, I think a laser is the uh, initial step, and then you graduate to a CNC. Yeah, I agree. And that, that's what I did. Um, but yeah, having... I, I think it's easier having, to make money off a laser. Yeah, I've been debating buying a fiber laser, actually. Because Me too. Pe- people, as soon as people find out that you have a laser, they immediately start asking you if you can mark metal with it. And and mine is just, no, you can't. I've had I've had probably 20 people ask me if I could do something on metal with it. And I, yeah. Yeah, I want a fiber laser, but I also want like a hundred and something watt CO2 as well. And a 3,000 square foot shop to put it in. Yeah, which has me leaning towards the fiber laser because they're small. So yeah, it would be fun to have one. Yeah, that's getting into the whole tool acquisition disorder thing, I suppose, right? I, I don't call it a disorder, okay? It's a condition. And we're all dealing with it. It's That's the hobby, is the tool acquisition. That's just one of the many hobbies that we have. Yeah. I wish I had more money so I could be perfect at it, and then I could be toxically perfect in my tool collections. Dude, if I won the lottery, I'd buy so many tools. Yeah. It'd be a problem. Speaking of tools, my one of my intentions, uh, one of the things I was going to bring up in this particular podcast with you is you know I have this problem, right? Every uh, seems like around this time every year I come up with a tool idea, and I start prototyping it and making a tool. Right. 
so this year's problem is uh, I have this. You've been seeing some of the tools that I've been pulling out of my my wife's great grandpa's tool chest that we. Yeah. So he's got this. There's this hammer. It's about that by about four inches long, and it's it's made out of one by one bar stock tapered down, kind of like a like a cross peen, right? Okay. Except it's I don't know how much it would weigh, half a pound maybe. So it's it's Tiny. pretty light. And I'm thinking what I'm going to do this year is I'm going to do a reproduction of that hammer out of brass. Yes. And then... Sign me up, Hatch. Where do I pay? Well, I actually don't know if I'm actually going to sell them. Mm. Um, what I'm going to do... Are you going to cast it? No. Um, Lawrence of Maritime Knife Works, Knife Supply. It's right here. You got to... You got to Mer- Lawrence of Maritime Knife Supply, who I was... I was literally in his hometown in Nova Scotia, and I didn't realize that that's where he was. Otherwise, I would have hit him up. And, uh, he's a good dude. Yeah. Well, I keep, you know, you guys talking about him all the time. I, I made the assumption, I never looked into it, but I made the assumption that he was in, uh, he was in New Brunswick closer to Tony, but then, but then I ordered something from him and it shows up from, from where he is. And I was like, I was, I spent two days in your town. (laughs) I literally looked at real estate in your town. I didn't know you were there. Anyway. So are you moving east? Well, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk hammer. about that in the we'll talk about that in the after show. Yeah. Um, anyway, so long story short, I went started looking around for for brass bar stock. So I'm just going to make it out of brass bar stock. And uh, nobody in in the town city close to me carries it, so they'd have to order it in, and they'll all order it in from uh, was it Metal Mart or Metal Supply? Mm. Blah blah blah. Anyway, Metal Supermarket or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Metal supermarkets in Calgary, and so I just went to their website, and for seventy bucks, I can buy a foot of this stuff, so I can make three hammers. Okay. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy this. Shipping from Calgary to me, which is only two and a half hours of driving. They wanted two hundred and twenty-two dollars to ship it to me. And so Cheaper I to said, just get in the truck and drive down there and pick it up yourself. Exactly. And so I said, screw that. And so I sent a message to Lawrence. And said, "Can you can you get this stuff?" And he doesn't have it in hand, but he he said he'd he'd look into it. And a couple of days later, he's I sent you an invoice. And so yeah, like three days That's later, phenomenal. he got it, and yeah, it'll be here tomorrow supposedly. It's not That's quite awesome. as fast as shipping to Texas, but anyway. So what I'm going to do with these three hammers? I'm going to make three, uh, one one for me, and then I'm going to make a second one to give away to the patrons of this podcast, right? Which which you are one of, so you are in the running. Yeah. And uh, at this point, the odds are pretty good. <laughs> at this point, but you haven't made the hammer yet. Yeah, it's true. I haven't made the hammer yet. Uh, and then the third one, the American Craftsman podcast or Green Street Joinery. I don't know which of them actually officially runs the runs Christmas. their giveaway thing. But uh, not that it makes any difference because they're the same people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so... I'll make the third one and give it as my as my giveaway gift. That's awesome. So that's the official announcement. You're always a big supporter of my tool making problem. Yeah, I I have one of the coolest tools you made though. The first one I made. Yeah, yeah. So I I just take my name out of the running for the brass hammer because uh, I already have a hatch made tool. So yeah, 
well, we'll, we'll see. If if you, uh, I'll do two draw. I'll do two draws. I guess if you win on the first one, I'll do a second one. And if you win a second time in a row, then you'll you'll get it. Yeah, that's how about that? How that about, because then how about we just then, get more patrons in here so the odds aren't so good that I'm going to win? That's what we need to focus on. I agree. So if you're not already signed up for a patron of this podcast, go to Patreon.com. Go to the search bar. <laughs> Put yeah. it in and give your dollar, two dollars, or five dollars a month, whatever it costs. It's a link in the description, right? That's a link in bio. Yeah. Hey, hey yeah. guys. <laughs> hey guys, go buy that. <laughs> my my friend. Oh, actually, speaking of my friends, I got a I got an email today from this company. They they want to sponsor some stuff, a video. And I'm like, it's like curtains. How is this relevant to what I do? You know, have you ever seen? Are they paying? No, it's just affiliate stuff and and free product. I'm like, mm, no, I'm good, thanks. But I don't if know if they're not they, paying. If they're not paying, don't take it. If they're paying, yeah. well, that's that's where I think maybe what I'll do is because my my largest audience is actually on TikTok. I think, although I think my YouTube is catching up to it. But I'll just all use you have TikTok to do is a short. The, I don't know. I haven't I I haven't really responded. It's just that's what they're. But uh, anyway, yeah. Long story short, I'm a, I'm an influencer now. Apparently. Must be nice, I tell you. Yeah, roll in all the non-existent money. I love having zero influence over ever anyone. It's fantastic. Ah, uh, you have lots of influence. You don't realize how much influence you have. Yeah, I'm not an influencer, though. That's true. Well, that, that's kind of where I, I'm like, get. I'm I'm starting to get the emails now, and I'm like, do do I do I accept any of these at all, and just say screw this nonsense and go down the uh, like what's his name. Uh, he does all the tool reviews, guys. Guy, uh, shoot, Pro- Project Farm. You watch any of his videos? No. I think it's Project Farm. He he legit buys every tool that he tests, and he goes through a whole bunch of testing things. He does really good videos, but he doesn't do any sponsored stuff, and so you can actually trust. For the most part, you can trust what he says. Yeah. But at the same time, it takes a lot of money to start. You know, because he's 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 testing like. Let's test this battery-powered Milwaukee DeWalt Makita drill head-to-head in these tests. And I bought all of these. So he just dropped, you know, 700 bucks on tools. Yeah, but how much money is he making off those videos? He's got to be doing well. I mean, no one does that just out of the goodness of their heart. Well, but he started that, right? He started doing it out of the goodness of his heart, but he probably wasn't doing the expensive things at the time. Right. I mean, you can start anything on a budget and see if it takes off. And then obviously there's money to be made on the internet, right? I mean, OnlyFans is what? A couple billion dollar industry. So you can make money out there. Are you suggesting that I, uh, you know, start undoing my shirt and that type of stuff? No, I'm internet? just saying there's ways to make, like, yes, you could do tool. Like, there's so many different ways to make money, right? Yeah. And 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 if you're doing good things, and I mean, OnlyFans wasn't made to be uh, naughty. It was just made so people had a social media where people would pay, and then because they allowed the naughty stuff on there, everyone thinks that it's all naughty, right? Yeah. So let's just take that out of it right so if you could um and even 
Instagram has figured that out and they have started subscriptions, right? So you can only post to people who subscribe to you. And that's a way to get away from the OnlyFans stigma, right? So yeah. he could start doing that stuff and, and only do it to his subscribers so they're paying him. My problem with that is on Instagram, there's ads being served up on top of that. So not only is the platform making money, but they're making the users pay money to see the content. And then they're not paying the people creating that content. And that's where it's kind of like an icky area for me for the subscriptions on Instagram. But there's ways yeah. to make money without sponsorships and without, like, it can be done. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So not, this is totally off topic and we're going down a rabbit hole of, I'm sure nobody's really interested in it. Yeah. So anyway, perfection. Yeah. Back to perfection. But yeah, this, and this is where like go, going to my, my problem making tools is I always like, like my Damascus straight edges, the one that you, you got there. What frustrated me most about that is that I had a whole bunch of people express interest in them because they are cool. I will admit that they look awesome. Mm-hmm. And then what ended up happening, I don't know if I ever told you the story of why I didn't actually make very many of them. But yeah. what ended up happening was basically the the company that I had do my do the machining because I don't have a mill or anything. They I don't know if they realized they were losing money on them or what or didn't want to actually do a production run on them. They went from yeah, we'll charge you 70 bucks a piece to do the machining on these to $300 a piece, you know. And so yeah. that just kills the idea, right? Well, I mean, that's the go away price, I think, right? Yeah. They probably got too busy and they're like, well, we can't do just a few of these now. I had it happen with a fellow maker, like maker to maker, right? I had a thing where I came up with a price with him. I went there. He did the work with like while I was there and it was just using his CNC because it was big enough, right? And we figured it out. We did all the numbers and he's like, all right, this is what I would need to make. And it was, I don't know, a hundred dollars an item or something like that. And I was like, okay, that's good. And I'm just... I'm just pulling these numbers out, right? It was more than that. And then when it came down to me making, I said, all right, so $100 an item, let's lock that price in. Let me go back. So then I went back and I figured out how many I could make. I waited for the order to come in. The order came in. I go back to the guy. He's like, now it's $500 a pop. I said, you just bid yourself right out of this job. There's nothing I can do. Like I factored my price off the price you gave me. That's why I came up here. We ran one. We tested it. We made sure that a hundred dollars a piece would work for you if I bought in bulk. And now you're going to change it to five hundred dollars? Get out of here. Yeah, that's frustrating. But anyway, it happens, man. I call it the go away price. Well, and that's and that's what it is. And and that's kind of where I go into that tool acquisition disorder. Right? Is I don't want to if I want to make something. I want to make it. I want to be, you know, I want to be Jimmy Duresta. I just want to be able to go and grab the tool that I need and make the thing that I want to make. Right. But, uh, yeah. And so that's where I go. That's actually one of the main reasons I ended up buying a CNC is because that that one thing kind of screwed me over. And I needed the precision of a CNC in order to, to make the product. But anyway. Then you went to what? The T-square? Yeah. And then the I made T-square? T-squares. I made the, yeah, the uh, dovetail T-squares. And those... Uh, I used the CNC on those and they were precise. Although I did have one that I don't know how I missed it. It was it was like a little tiny degree off, and so I uh, had to I had to replace one. But the rest of them were all good. And that was fun. And so now this year, yes, gonna make some hammers. And I mean, if a whole bunch of people say, "Hey, can I get one?" Then maybe I'll make a run of them. But as for right now, make one for me, one to give away, and or I guess one for me and two to give away. But, I do know somebody who was making smaller hammers than that, believe it or yeah. not. Um, 
at a hex bar and he sold a ton of them yeah see i don't i like there's something about this particular hammer if i was in my shop i'd grab it and show it to you there's something it's just it's the just proportions are there yeah it's just bang on perfect proportions and it's and i don't know i don't know why they're there but it's got these like four notches kind of look like they're filed in at a kind of an angle around the where it where it begins to taper and it just looks it just looks cool and so it's perfect yeah aesthetics are a huge thing you know if you had yeah. two tools they both do the same thing and one you just like the look of you're gonna go to that one it's gonna 100 percent. yeah aesthetics play a huge part yeah and that's why i've been uh i finally got that that roofer's hatchet that i've been rehandling i got that finished a couple days ago the reel is going to go live today as we're recording this or after i record this i'm going to post it and i like it too because the more I look at it, the more I'm pretty convinced that it was made by my wife's great grandpa. He was a blacksmith. Okay. And I'm I'm pretty convinced that he made it, or at least it, it's definitely handmade because all of the chamfer, none of the chamfers are are even. Like it's right. And the 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 hammerhead part of it, the, the all the faces on it are are uneven and they're different sizes, and so it clearly isn't machine made. Wabi so I'm pretty yeah exactly and so I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty convinced that he probably made it which is cool I'm gonna go with that as the story anyway yeah and, I would venture to say I mean if he was a blacksmith and you found it in his shop and it's definitely handmade chances are if well, exactly. not the guy who taught him blacksmithing or something there's a lineage yeah. there that's pretty cool history yeah and now I I put a new handle on it and if I do say so myself, you're going to have to take my word for this because you can't touch it and I don't have it, so I can't show it to you. But it fits my hand perfect. Like, it, it's it's like, it, it will be my go-to. I'm going to pick this up for a lot of crap just because it feels so nice in my hand. So and you're then actually going to use it. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah? I am I am not a believer in putting the tool on the wall and look at it. Like, it's... Good. Tool, tools have a life and if you don't if you don't use them then their life is pointless at least that's yeah. my opinion i agree with anyway, that. i think uh i think this has kind of been a rambly episode but it's been a good conversation i think so it's been nice to uh it's been nice to chat with you keith uh it's oh, been, always a pleasure to chat with you andrew it's been a it's been a few a few months i suppose at this point but yeah so thanks for coming on um do you have anything to say to uh, my vast audience that uh, probably all listen to your podcast already? Yeah, join uh, the Patreon for this podcast. Stop being I, stingy. You have that dollar. Spend it on Andrew. I appreciate it. Podcasts cost money. They do. And I, I do appreciate the patrons who are currently on the podcast and supporting the podcast because it does actually, it does actually make this possible. I know everybody says that, but it really does. Yeah, that's one That's one thing when somebody says, oh, it, it helps make a podcast happen. It really does. There's a lot of like weird things that come up you got to pay for. You got to pay for the hosting service or whatever this is called. It just adds up after a while. But yeah. in the meantime, you could win a hammer handmade by Andrew Hatch. Yep. And hopefully it'll look some as cool as therapy. the original one. Exactly. Thank you for the plug, Keith. Anytime. And I appreciate you coming on, and uh, let's say goodbye, and we'll head to the after show. Goodbye, and we'll head to the after show. That's a dad joke right there. That's that's what that is. just want to say thank you to Uncle Sam Metalworks, who jumped on to support the podcast on Patreon this week, and along with all the other patrons. But uh, if you want to support the podcast on Patreon, there's 
couple levels. There's a dollar a month, you know, just to say thanks level. And there's also a $5 a month level that gives you access to the pre-show and the post-show stuff, which on this particular episode was almost an extra hour of bonus content. So if you're into that sort of thing, that's there. But if you can't support the podcast, I totally understand. I'd appreciate it if you'd share the podcast. And if you have any questions, reach out and send an email to questions at workshoptherapypodcast.com and I will get them on the show. And with that, I'd just like to say thank you to the current and new podcast supporters, Mr. Matthew Serio from Argiano Serio, Just Brad at Brad's Customs, Keith Drennan at Blackthorn Concepts, Brandon Millichamp at Tectonic Creations, The Grant Alexander, Caroline Jeanette Racine, Overall MakerWorks, Waffle Beaver, Ed Johns at ButtJoints.com, Miguel Angel Viela, and Mr. Adam Kunrat of Uncle Sam Metalworks. 